Hello and welcome to another episode. Hey, it's that. Today, I'm happy to interview a new person in my life, a fun story to unpack here. This is Kat Jamie. Now, Kat is a filmmaker who um, directed a, can I say breakthrough? Is that, uh, yeah. is that the right word for what that was? <laughs> yeah, totally. A breakthrough documentary called uh, Finding Big Country. For those of you who are fans of the NBA or certainly fans of the Vancouver Grizzlies, whose short um, and storied existence of only six seasons uh, was documented by Kat. And so I came across this film because a, I like basketball. Uh, B, I grew up in Vancouver. I remember when the Grizzlies uh, came around and I moved to Toronto in 99. So I missed their actual leaving. And that was the height of Vince Carter's fame uh, out there. So that kind of had my attention at the time. Um, but I was really uh, drawn to uh, to your film because it was like this sore spot and this kind of bruise in in Vancouver's kind of sports history for a while. And I think the way that you tackled that was... I was admirable and it was like half biopic and half documentary. Mm -hmm. And so I watched it on YouTube and there'll be a link here uh, to, uh, for anybody to check it out. Um, and then I emailed you like when the credits were rolling because <laughs> I, I, that's just kind of my way. I like to, I like to meet people that I think are up to interesting things. Mm -hmm. And so for the purposes of anybody watching or listening, this is the first time you and I have actually met, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we corresponded a few times, but yeah, this is the first time we're, we're actually talking. Right. And in a, in a COVID reality, that was like January, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is as close as it gets to having a coffee. <laughs> it's right? true. This is the, yeah, this is, this is our new normal. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it sure is. And so the, a little bit more background. Um, there was a NBA qualifier that was scheduled to be, or no, NBA, sorry, Olympic qualifier that was scheduled to be in Victoria right now like like this june and the way it was facing was uh shaping up was canada was due to play greece and a number of nba players for the first time said we'll play for canada people like jamal murray and we had things like andrew wiggins lining up so for the first time canada international basketball um at the in the men's game was about to involve nba players and that's right in my backyard and so i'm like okay i got to get involved in this and Long story short, there was also the NBA preseason game here back in October, and there was this art gallery called the NBA Gallery. They opened up in Gastown. I thought it was fantastic. It was really cool. And so I reached out to you point blank out of nowhere. I'm some weird guy online who saw your film, and you probably get a lot of that. So it was like, hey, there's something artistic happening. You're doing artistic things. You're interested in basketball. Maybe we could have a discussion about that, which led to this moment here today. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, you know, tell me a bit more about your background. Um, and um, certainly in the film, it's pretty clear about your love for the Grizzlies and basketball. But tell me about filmmaking today. What, what's, what's happening in your world today as a documentary or just a filmmaker in period? Totally. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to, to finally connect. Um, so, I mean, Finding the Country was a it's a you know uh it was a, a long a long dream in the making yeah. yes um i always say that i started to dream about making this film when i was in film school back in like tw like 2008 um mm -hmm. 
And I was always like, you know, someone is going to make this film. And like, if I'm not, if I'm, if it's not me, like I'm going to kick myself because I know that there's such a great story here. And, you know, I really felt like I could, no one could tell it like I could because of all the archives that I kept because of my personal connection. And then when I was doing my research, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, every article that I found about the Grizzlies, there was like one line that was like, no one's been able to track mm -hmm. down Bryant. And we haven't, you know, we don't, we've never, we haven't seen or heard of Bryant since he left town. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I love Bryant. <laughs> and wouldn't it be so cool if like, I was actually, if I could get him, like that was sort of like my hook. I was like, that would be so great. Um, so yeah, so my team and I, we, we made Finding Big Country. Um, but I will say, so even though I made Finding Big Country, my, my dream has always been to tell the full story of the Grizzlies. So what happened from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And so that's what my team and I are actually doing right now. So Finding Big Country um, is sort of like a proof of concept film um, to help us get sort of like the bigger project, the dream project made. Right. And we, you know, we were gaining momentum after a year of like trying to put all the puzzle pieces together with funding, with, um, with pitching and whatnot. And we were just about to like to hit, um, to hit go on the whole thing. We were about to go to Memphis cause they were just about to where we were going to, um, right. They had the throwbacks. Yeah. The throwback jerseys. They're they going to play Toronto. And Toronto and Vancouver are going to wear the throwback jerseys. Then obviously COVID happened. And, you know, I'm really grateful that the NBA did what they did because I feel like they're the ones who kind of put this on overdrive and, were, you know, the whole world kind of shut down after the NBA took a lead. And to be honest with you, like, I wouldn't have wanted to get, got, like, I, I didn't, I, I wouldn't have wanted to travel. Like, I would have felt very uncomfortable, like, on a plane. Um, also in the States, like, you know, um, with like med like our insurance and whatnot so i'm glad that our team didn't end up going to that trip on that trip even though obviously like i'm also like very bummed that yeah you know, we, we i wasn't able to see that in person and live because i i was like i yeah i've been waiting for that for that for that day for that game for so long um but um but yeah we've just had to hit we've had to hit pause just like everyone else um and so i think i guess yeah the next few months like we've just been trying to plan trying to do research trying to conduct interviews over the phone like research interviews but how this film will play out like i'm still not 100 percent sure because mm -hmm. everything but it i mean the nice thing is is knowing that everyone is feeling the same thing i guess right. that's my only sort of the thing that i'm okay everyone's going through this it's not just me which mm -hmm. is a nice feeling, but it's still like, yeah, it's still very, um, like I'm very anxious about what the future holds in, in terms of for documentaries as a whole, for films as a whole, um, but not just for filmmaking. There's so many other areas that I feel, yeah, everyone's kind of feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And kind of funny that, you know, creatively speaking, when you look at the arc of your basketball career to UBC and that is cut short, um, big country's career in the NBA, that is cut short. Um, you pulled off one documentary, that went okay, but now this one is cut short. Like there's always something in the way. Maybe that's kind of uh, one of the interesting, you know, lessons here is like, you just can't ever get home again almost, right? Yeah, that's actually a good point. And you know, it's interesting because documentaries are all about, you have this idea, 
and it usually because it's real life you can't script it so mm-hmm. you usually most often than not um it doesn't happen the way that you planned and it's your job as like as a documentary filmmaker it's our job to pivot mm-hmm. and like so that's what's happening right now but it's just it's so extreme that i don't i don't even know like i mean i'm hoping that things get better like i'm i'm trying to be optimistic and hopeful yes because you know we're used to like we're used to pivoting and we're used to changing things up but i feel like this is like to the extreme because this is like the whole the whole your whole concept kind of needs to change as well mm-hmm. yeah um, especially because with this film like you know i'm supposed to be traveling quite a bit to the states because i because we're we're we we're tracking like a lot of these former players who all live in the states so yeah it's 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 hopefully like we won't you know things get better um and um and we're able to you know we're able to contain and you know flatten the curve and hopefully find a cure vaccine or both Mm -hmm. treatment um and um and we're able to to get going and then the next year i i mean it's not going to happen right away but sometime next year i'm hoping that we're able to to start shooting yeah i understand Um, i think everybody's got that kind of shared hope and delayed you know this has been normal now you see you see scenes of uh, nba games and things like that it's hard to believe that's in the cards you know what i mean we're so now used to this kind of social distancing reality in that way um so i'm totally with you on that let's let's take that idea um of the pivoting and documentary and stuff because one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is um so for those who haven't seen it yet you grew up a grizzlies fan when like you were seven when when they they first came right seven yeah seven yeah yeah so so big country is like a an idol right and a sports hero and then you literally end up you know in the span of what 20 years ish you're now playing one-on-one with this guy so so what 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 is that like the transfer of like you know and you addressed it a bit in the film but like the person's almost like a peer for you now when when you know you're both not in basketball and now here you are playing one-on-one with this guy in his home court, right? So what is that transfer of um, self-identity of like, okay, this is big country, I gotta find him, I'm perfect to make this film, uh, to actually hanging out with this guy <laughs> for an afternoon? Like, what, what is that like? Oh man, I mean, as much as, like, I, as much as he is a retired NBA player, like, you know, when you watch the film, I'm like trying to keep my cool like the entire time. And I can imagine, there are moments yeah. that hit the cutting room floor when I look at the camera and I'll be like, like, what is happening? Like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe I'm, you know, I'm in Oklahoma and, you know, I've been to Oklahoma now three times, which like, I never thought I'd, yeah. you know, why would I go to Oklahoma? Right. Um, and, you know, for him to be so kind and welcoming um, was just, you know, it was a huge relief. Um, you know, there's that saying like, never meet your, never meet your childhood hero. And I always right. say that, you know, I'll always add like, you know, never, add, never meet your childhood hero unless, you know, they're big country Brian Reeves, because he, um, you know, he didn't even meet my expectations. He really, you know, he, he went over and beyond what I, you know, what I was hoping he would be. And, you know, I'm not, it, it's hard. Cause like, you don't want to put these athletes on a pedestal, but it's hard when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. and like you know they're That's just so like they're larger than life and they are you know when you go to games it's so magical and 
and um you know as a kid i never there i never bumped into or like met any of the grizzlies when they were in town like i had a lot of friends who would see like you know bryant at the grocery store or at steve's den and like you know you know would ask for autographs and whatnot i never like i wish i was that kid but i never yeah i was you know and as much as i went to games like i was never i never um was like you know i was always never like courtside never like super duper duper close to the to the court and I always wanted to be a ball girl. I always wanted to be picked to be like that kid that does like the halftime, like, you know, like I, I can I, like, you know, especially when they were like uh, the games where they would have to do like a layup or like shoot. I was like, I can do that. Like, right. how do I get picked? How do like, how do I be seen by whoever, you know, makes that decision? Mm-hmm. And so to, you know, to be talking to all these players that I like admired was really just like I'm a kid in a candy store to be honest (laughs) and so but you know I think Bryant did a really good job of just being so humble Mm -hmm. um and you know from his friends like learning about him and you know they would say Kat you know if you if you were to just to meet Bryant today and you had no idea who he was like he would never bring up that he was a professional like NBA player it's just something you know you maybe you would have to google it or maybe someone would tell you like hey like do you know Bryant is you know he's an NBA superstar and you'd be like what like I had no idea um and I totally get that um and I think it's something that I really respect about Bryant um one of the things that I I love learning about him is that he really doesn't care about the limelight Mm -hmm. and I think that's such a it's so um it's so different from what we see today when everyone is just like, you know, on social media and whatnot, you know, and I am too. So I'm not, um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, it's nice to meet someone who just like, doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, like genuinely, right. Not from yeah. a, a bad place, but just focused on his own. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just I like think that loves, really came through. Yeah. And loves like loves spending time on his ranch, loves, you know, spending time with his family, being a dad um, is there for his friends. Like, yeah he's kind of the i don't know like i i i uh, share finding the country with students in high school and elementary schools and i think we talk about like what it means to be like a you know a role model and an athlete mm. and i think bryant really embodies that not not that he's trying to be but he's just yes that's just who he is um but i think kids at a young age can really learn from that so mm-hmm. yeah and i think i'm glad you know i think thanks for saying that but i i do think that i was hoping to capture that his essence well, and like his yeah I think that comes through and almost the strongest part of that is through when you're interviewing his friends like I think that the gentleman's name is Steve Woodruff yeah, I watched yeah. I watched it again last night oh, so yeah. when you're having that chat out there by the fence um and he starts to get all emotional like yeah. you, you can't help but love that moment because that really expresses I think exactly what you're talking about. Like he, he says it in his own words, uh, the effect of like some guy from our little small town became one of the greatest NBA players in the world and went up against Michael Jordan and the best. And he's, mm-hmm. he's my friend from down the block. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really charming. Totally. And I, you know, that's such a, it was such a powerful moment. Um, and like, I think that's what I also, you know, came to love. Like there's a lot of things that I learned about Bryant. Um, in his, it, like in his story, because I just knew he was this guy from Gans, like Oklahoma. I didn't really know what that meant, 
but yeah as I was doing my research I was like oh my god like it is super incredible how he came from this super small town and he made it mm-hmm. to the big leagues and he played against all these players and and, the, and not only that he came back and he like because he really could have lived anywhere true um and the fact that he like he came back and he just you know he never forgot where he came from and I think that's that's also you know super powerful and super um you know one of the things that I I really um love learning about Brian another thing I love learning about Brian was that he never asked for a trade which is you know is in the film mm, which I right. was like wasn't 100% sure because you know the Grizzlies were not you know Good. the most fun <laughs> team to play for yeah right and especially he's he's the only player that was there from the very beginning to the very end mm-hmm. um and so yeah I was kind of afraid to ask like you know did you did you ever want out and if you look at his you know the man he, what he calls his man cave mm-hmm. and or like his court he's so proud to be a to play for Vancouver which as a you know as a Vancouverite and as a childhood fan was just like the coolest thing that I could have learned about him. Yes, no, I, I totally get that. And I think you saw in parallel, um, like my time in Toronto, the, the Raptors were they like the purple dinosaur when it all broke, like I'm in my, I'm in my 20s when uh, NBA came to Canada. And so we were like, oh, you know, Jurassic Park just came out, like it was smart, you know, like it, like you're targeting a youth demo and things like that. But it, there wasn't that kind of validity until you got to that kind of you know, Vince Carter element there in, in Toronto in that same way. And so uh, I totally agree with you. I think in Vancouver, we have this kind of identity crisis almost. It's like we, we can host the Olympics and we're awesome at things like that. And we can be this great international city, but we still get stoked. We still have this kind of like small town kind of pride when you see something like what you're just describing there. Right. Um, it's not like a, a spotlight city. It's kind of like the, the best kept secret city, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I like that. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about the unavoidable conversation everywhere in the past couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is, of course, the, the topic of, of racism and how it's being addressed and how it's being not addressed and systemic racism. A lot of people are unpacking this um and as you and i prepared to do this interview we talked about okay let's this is not the right time for that conversation i think when you emailed me you you literally said there's other voices right now that that are a priority where does that sit in your scope as a filmmaker is there a responsibility this is all new you know like well it's not new that's the problem isn't it this is now a uh an unavoidable conversation, I guess, is what I'm saying. And does that influence your your role as a filmmaker? Yes. I mean, sorry, one second. There's okay. uh, phones are going off. Um, yeah, I think it's it's yeah. You're right. It's not new, but I think we're. I think it's always been there, but we're just starting to talk about it. Um, and you know, I think film is an important is such an important medium yeah and you know film is such an important medium the stories we tell are so important and the people who tell it are so important and the and and the people who um are in the stories are so important and i think i'm hoping to see a shift in in you know in how we use this medium to elevate voices that need to be heard stories that you know that that have um, been forgotten or just, you know, 
when people say, when, you know, broadcasters or whatnot say, you know, I don't think there's an audience for this. There is an audience for this. Mm -hmm. You know, you just, you, like, there is an audience for this. There are people who need to hear these stories. And I think we're going to start to see a, a shift. And that's my hope that, that voices that, um, and stories that, haven't been given like the mainstream like um attention uh finally you know finally do and so you know i think you know as a storyteller um you know as you know as a fe uh, female filipina storyteller like you know i i do i do think that there is going to be um you know a shift um and i think that we all have to yeah i think people are starting to realize how there is so much power in all these in all these in all these mediums especially film and trying to find your voice in it um and trying to use your voice to help elevate others as well um and so yeah so it's it's a really interesting time i'm still learning quite a bit um but i'm really just trying to think about yeah the power that film has mm -hmm. and how important it is for people to see themselves on screen how important it is to have, you know, the right storytellers. Like not everyone can tell a certain story. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, is it your story to tell? I think that's a, you know, and, and um, I think that's such an important question that I'm even asking myself when I think I want to tell a story. It's like, well, wait a second. Like, am I really the right person to tell the story? Is this my story to tell? Um, and I think that question it will be asked hopefully more so um and and yeah that we see better representation and you know i think it's it's so powerful when you see yourself on screen and it's such a like i don't even know how to explain it for example you know I, watching like for example like black panther or wonder woman like when i you know i was in my 30s when or late 20s early thirties when these films came out. No, 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 I was in my twenties still, but it was just so crazy to me, you know, for Wonder Woman, when you see all these women in that fight scene, like on the beach, it was, it was crazy. And I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who felt this way. Like I was talking to my cousins and my friends and I was like, wasn't that, it was, it was so jarring for me. And it was so jarring that it was jarring. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh my God, I have never seen this before in my life. Like, how is it, how is that possible that I'm in like 28 or 29 mm -hmm. and this is the first time I'm seeing this and how powerful would it be if I, you know, thinking of like, I can't, like, I'm so excited um, for this younger generation, you know, for my nieces and nephews who are just kids and they get to see this at such a young age. Cause how different would, you know, how different would things be? if I saw this as a kid, you know? Um, and so I think we're going to start to see a change because there is a new generation who is wanting this more, who's going to demand this more and who's getting to, because things are like, they're starting to change. And I think it's going to change even more um, that, yeah, they're just going to be, yeah, I think a lot of good things are happening and we'll, we're going to see that with this, with this younger generation coming up, which is very cool. And I'm excited for I think you um, you certainly you know got me for a moment there when you were talking about is it my story to tell because mm -hmm. in my world which is mostly located in marketing branding and that kind of stuff um, all these brands marched out last week with statements um, you know some better than others admittedly and 
there's there's opinions on that. And now we're seeing fallout from other companies whose employees are saying, well, that statement was nice, but working here, it ain't like that, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of incongruity. And so I, I was kind of thinking that over the week and I was, I don't want to say happy, but like I was um, relieved a bit to see your message about let's let's wait a bit, let's not publish anything, mm-hmm. um, uh, and give this this a little bit of time mm-hmm. um, because I felt the same sort of thing. I didn't really realize it at the time of, of whether or not I was really struggling with is it my story to tell? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like maybe it's time just to be in the back seat. And mm-hmm. but the the other side of it was if you were silent or you didn't express an opinion, that meant you were complicit with the structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's I think also, I don't know. Is that a dangerous position? Is is being silent on a topic like that? Um, what do you think about that? Because I haven't decided what I think about that yet. It's you know what I. It's very. I think it's a very yeah. I I'm still. I'm I'm having these conversations with friends because I also I'm not, you know I do. I do, you know, I have friends who are like, you know, everyone has a platform now and, you know, we need to use our voice. And I a hundred percent agree, but I do understand, like, I understand your thought, um, um, in terms of like, there are two sides to it. There's the one side, it's like, you know, I need to step back and amplify other voices, but at the same time, if I don't say anything, am I being complicit? And I do, I do see that 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 tension and I see um but I I don't know it's a good question I think I don't I don't I I I don't know if there's a right or wrong right although it seems like there is right it Um, it does seem that way yeah I do I mean I right now I think where I stand with that is that I think people definitely everyone has a voice whether it be on social media or offline I mean obviously offline especially offline Mm -hmm. um I think I think it's I think it's important for people and I I kind of struggled with this as well because I was like I'm not sure you know what what do I do Mm -hmm. um and I think it's what I've come I think where I'm landing right now (laughs) after like you know having these conversations because I'm I'm also kind of confused it's a it's a yeah um, is that just do what feels truthful to you. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, and I, and, and know that whatever work that you're doing and I'm hoping like, you know, it, it's great to see. I love seeing it. Like, it's very cool for me to see all my friends posting and like, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I, it makes me super hopeful that like, Oh my God, like there's so many, there's so many of us who want this change and who are doing the work. Um, and yeah, like when I think, you know, I think I, um, when, when, if you're trying to figure out if should I post, should I not post, I think there'll probably be a time when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I've thought about what I want to say. And like, you know, don't, don't use your platform just to use it, just to, you know, um, just to say something because you're afraid of what people are, might say, like, say it when you, like, when you are ready to Mm -hmm to say whatever you want to say on social media. But then there's obviously the offline work that everyone's doing that I think is also, you know, as important, even more important because those, that's where the, the work actually happens. Um, but yeah, I do think that there is, you know, at the first few days, I mean, this is so new to have social, to have social, social media during a time like that, like this, like we've not seen this before. And I think everyone is just trying to like, 
um, at least I am, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what's my, what's my role in this as you know, because social media is being, is a tool right now. It's a tool to help with this, um, you know, with this movement and what is my relationship to it? What is my role and my responsibility to, you know, in this whole thing as well, because I, I use social media. Um, so yeah, so I think it's, I think it's a great conversation. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm happy that a lot of people are having it and, and are trying to figure out this space. And I think it's okay to, um, to not know. Yeah, just to, just to, you know, it's, yeah, I think we're all just navigating this space right now. And to know that, just be true to yourself. And, um, and, um, and, you know, and, and elevate, for sure, elevate um, the voices that need to be, to be heard right now. That makes any sense. I feel like I'm just rambling right now. No, that, that's okay. Like, uh, I, I think it helps to like, like, I've been doing this for like, you know, maybe 10 days, you know, kind of it's going through my head. And when you start to articulate it, I think a lot of times that helps like organize our own thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what about other areas of attention right now? Like, like what's, we've been in lockdown for what feels like 3000 months, but it's only been <laughs> almost three. Um, <laughs> like what's on your playlist? Like, what are you paying attention to mm -hmm. media wise? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I mean, I, I get so many, I'm reading so many articles about like COVID and like what's going on. Like the past, you know, few months have just been, it's just been a lot with the pandemic. Like, um, you know, especially at the first month or so, um, just, just trying to understand what's happening, understand like, Hey, like what's safe, what's not safe. Um, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? I'm, I'm on the camp of like, wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll I'm say with that. You. Yes. Um, and just like, you know, especially just, um, you know, I have family in the Philippines and how, how country, countries like that are treating it. Like, you mm -hmm. know, it's almost somewhat like martial law over there right. with like military checkpoints. And like, it's just very interesting. Uh, yeah, I've seen things like that. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting to see, how different countries respond, how citizens within each country respond to like the rules the government puts in place. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess that, you know, that has been taking up a lot of my time and obviously the last dance. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. I, I think everyone was like, um, was, was watching that. I bought um, a pair of like Air Jordan ones. Uh, it was like my my COVID midlife crisis purchase. Like buying a motorbike for you know NBA fans. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, um, you know, and that was yeah, that was such a you know Jason Hare's you know one of my favorite filmmakers. He uh, um, the Fab Five, which is another ESPN Thirty for Thirty, is one of my favorite document like sports or documentaries and sports documentaries but yeah. um I, w I didn't actually realize that he directed the series but I was you know um super stoked when I found out and he yeah I it was such a I mean I think he could have made anything and I would have loved it just because like that era of of sport of NBA basketball or sports in general mm -hmm was is so mystical like especially now because we have social media we know what our what our favorite athletes like to eat we know what their houses look like we know who their kids are yeah yeah you know everything is like is put out there but like back then like and i think that's why there's such a um 
you know, with the grizzly story, it's the same kind of feeling. It's like, oh my God, I've never, who are these people? You know, like what are their lives like? And what are they really like? What are their personalities like? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just seeing Michael Jordan, I think Jason says this in an interview that he did, like seeing, you know, Michael Jordan driving in a car, like footage of that is like, oh my God, he's driving in a car. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so like, there's just no access. Yeah. There was no access back then. Mm-hmm. And for us to see Michael, like when Michael spoke out at Kobe Bryant's, you know, um, celebration of life back mm-hmm. in February, I think it was. I think so. Yeah. Like when I saw him, I was like, oh my God, like I felt like I was seeing it like a, an old friend that I had not seen in years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, MJ, like we've not seen him really. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know what he like, you know, he just, he's not like he's not like Shaq or Charles Barkley who you know he's really they're out there right yeah yeah yeah. and so yeah the the last dance was you know and it was crazy how they were editing as they were still going like they you know when episode one one and two dropped they were still working on like the oh really yeah they were editing as they were going because they were not supposed to release the series until Mm -hmm. like you know, July or I don't know, August or sometime in the summer. But yeah. obviously with COVID, they, you know, they decided to release it earlier. I didn't know that. And so like my my thinking around that was they're just spacing. Like I thought it was all shot, done, ready to go. Mm-hmm. But they were spacing it out so that we had something in our lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then I've actually been watching um, some just like very, um, some some old sci-fi tv shows from oh, yeah, like cool. early 2000s just because like i need like i need to need something that's light yeah like like, <laughs> like what 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 shows specifically <laughs> like um oh my gosh my my stepdad got me into this this tv series that's kind of like um uh oh my gosh what's that f- a show called uh warrior print it's it's legend it's called Zena? Legends of is that what you're talking Zena. about but yeah. but it's it's like that it's called legends of the seeker Legend mm. of the Seeker. Anyways, okay. I we watched I watched that like the first month we were in lockdown and it was very good. But it, I just needed something that was like that was that was entertaining but also yeah. just light and wouldn't make me feel anxious. <laughs> I totally get it. Like escapism is uh, I think a big part of that and th- that's a role that sports used to hold. You know what I mean? Like their sports would always, you know, be related to politics or other topics of the day. Um, but for the most part, it was about kind of forgetting about all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, like that was a, that was a thing, you know, um, that was the level of escapism. Um, and uh, you would pay attention to the, the story arcs, the standings, all that kind of stuff that would go along with it. So I'm with you. It's like shows like that. Let's call it candy. Like yeah. it, ta- it tastes good, but it's not great for you. But it's part of life, right? Especially yeah. right now. <laughs> That's so true. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy how long we've gone out, gone without sports and it'll be interesting to see, I mean, the NBA is, you know, what this, uh, what this next run will look like Mm -hmm. with the, uh, with the playoffs being, being televised without any audio. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you probably have some interesting opinions on that because like, I think there's an opportunity to innovate broadcast. If we look to just, you know, you know, have those games the way that we would just without fans, I think we're missing an opportunity. And I think there could be ways and because I don't work in this industry, I don't know exactly what they are, but there must be different ways that we can innovate what it means to put a televised 
game on TV, you know, in a fanless environment? What are other ways that we can make it visually interesting? Or um, I'm not sure what that is. Any thoughts on on what that might look like? That's a good question. I don't know. Like it's like I I had actually never thought of that. The only thing, as you were saying that, I was like, you know, would it be like a really big like Zoom? Like you know, you I don't could know. Have it here and then you could have like you know hundreds of thousands of people. But the problem with that, I think, is that for every like good idea where you try to bring people together, there's going to be like trolls yes. who like ruin it for everyone else. So it's true. It's true. You know? So I mean, because that would actually be kind of cool. But I guess, I guess what you would do is like, you know, you could probably um, do like as if you, if you had like two screens, like you would watch the show and then it's probably something you do with your friends, like everyone let's watch this game together and everyone can go on zoom, mm-hmm. um, but it would have to be password protected because <laughs> you would right. have like the zoom like trolls, like, cause I've actually, I've been on a zoom dance party when trolls come on and it's really, just like, yeah, it's like. <laughs> It's so, yeah, it was ridiculous, but I was like, you know, it, when I, when I first started seeing that, I was like, man, like, why do we need to, like, why? Yeah, I know. Yeah. What can I say? That's the other side of human nature. Maybe there's a lot to be said for unpacking that sort of mentality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, it just boggles my mind, but um, I did, I mean, I, I think people were saying, I'm not sure if they're going to put like a, like a laugh track, but just like, like clapping or I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've read a, a couple things about piping in sound effects from like NBA, you know, 2K20. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen things in Europe where they have, or maybe it's, maybe it's Taiwan, maybe it's baseball. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but like cardboard cutouts and mm-hmm. like just kind of, you know, props basically. I don't know. I think the innovation could be an audio. So like there's, you know, there's probably a lot of language that's not really suitable for broadcast, but mm-hmm. that's going to be the only sound. It's going to be a lot of squeaking and a lot of chatter. So I think the audio has a lot of potential, you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to be able to hear things that were just not possible. So the roar of the crowd is something, but the other side of it is uh, everything that you're missing. Yes. Right? And I'm actually like, as much as I, you know, hockey for, yeah, like, I guess, Oh no 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 never mind. Never I I forgot what I was gonna say. But I, I do I was excited to be like, man, we're actually gonna hear what these players are saying to each other. And that is yes. kind of cool too. So maybe that is um, you know, maybe it's something that we can you know, it might be weird not to have the uh, the crowd, but mm-hmm. it'll be something different. But maybe maybe yeah, something different and so, different doesn't have to mean that it's, you know, bad or worse than Yeah, less, exactly, yeah. right? Um let's let's take a couple more questions and we'll, yeah, we'll call yeah. it call it a morning yeah. um what what motivates you so you know maybe maybe before and even during the current situation like what gets you going mm-hmm. i mean i never i always i always know my, my next project what my next project will be when i think of someone else again someone else beating me to the punch uh-huh um and you know not to make it sound not to sound super political but but i do like when i think about the grizzlies documentary um i was like someone is going to tell this and that Mm -hmm. someone is probably going to be a guy if it's not like if i don't if i don't make it Mm -hmm. and and that's you know especially with finding big country i was like oh man like i know a guy's like if this story is going to be told 
And if it's, you know, I, and, and I, if I don't get my act together and I don't act fast, like someone's going to tell it. And most likely it's going to be a, a dude. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like ESPN 30 for 30s, I was doing kind of, I wanted to know how many female directors there were. And I think there's like 106 episodes and there's around, uh, there's around, I might be off by one or two. Yeah. There are six female directors. Right. There's the ratio across just about everything though, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And so, you know, especially, um, I, you know, I think that's what motivates me is that, you know, I feel like they're neat. Like we, women, we play sports, we watch sports, we love it. We, it's entertaining for us. Um, mm-hmm. at the popular, you know, like, we need to be part of these narratives as well. And, um, or part of, you know, the part of shaping these narratives. Um, and, you know, I just think of how, how impactful, like, for example, I loved the NBA. I wanted to be like big country. I thought I could be like big country in, in Sharif and Bibby, but I'm not, I'm not like a six foot one, like Caucasian, like guy, you know, but that's how I perceived myself for such a long time. And the reason, that was was because the WNBA was starting like it did exist but here in Canada we got very little exposure to it yeah absolutely like I you know I didn't there was no internet back then as well and so like I knew some players by name but I never I never watched a game as a kid the only one I can think of from that era is Cheryl Swoops Cheryl Swoops yeah and maybe there was like you know when I when I bought was able to like buy a book about the basketball as a kid there might be like you know a page about it or something like I Mm -hmm. never and so it was really interesting I was just I was on another like um Instagram like uh, live interview the other day and um my friend was interviewing me for his show and he brought his daughter and she's 11 and I was Mm -hmm. like hey like who's your favorite player and she was like Sue Bird and I was like that's amazing like Mm -hmm. I loved I was so happy because like to be you know to have those role models as a as a you know um when you're a young when you're that at that age and to have them like to know all these like female athletes is incredible and that's you know um you know I'm not saying that they didn't exist when I was young because they they did I just didn't have as much access to them as I did the NBA because obviously the NBA was was super big and and whatnot Michael Jordan and you know what I mean like that dominated the conversation um and that dominated the airways here in Canada like I um and so you know I think what motivates me now is like okay we just need um we just need more female filmmakers across the board and you know there is something that I really gravitate towards it's called shine theory and it's like it means like you know um if if I shine, like we all shine. And like a win for one of us is a win for all of us. And there's room for all of us at the table. And there's it's not there's no it's not about scarcity. Like I think that, you know, sometimes um I will okay, sorry, one one last like story about about yeah. this is that of course. Um so yeah, so I like have always been an athlete first. Athlete then an, and it was very not until you know just a few years ago and I was like I guess like I'm an artist too I'm a filmmaker Mm -hmm. but I always like that was like my perception like you know in in high school I was you know the um I was you know the point guard I was the team captain you know blah 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 so I oh yeah it was always the like quote-unquote jock or like Mm -hmm. yeah and um I remember when I was just starting to get into the industry I made um 
I made friends with another female filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. And I remember she sent me an email that was like, and a bunch of us that was like, hey, like here's a grant that I think everyone should apply to. Mm-hmm. And it, I was so taken aback because I was like, why are you sending this to me? Because aren't we, aren't we competing? Like, aren't mm-hmm. we vying for this spot? Like I was so taken aback. And I guess it was like my, my like athletic, like competitiveness that was like coming to the, like the forefront that was like, you know, I need to, you got, we're, we're in competition and I need to beat you. And you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I like, I, but these emails were, it wasn't just like a one-off. It was like, you know, whenever something came up, I would get, like, we'd all get this email blasted. And I was like, you know what? Like, it totally shifted my perception of things of like, we need to be helping each other. And we, like, this is not a competition anymore. We need, especially because of what we face in the industry of the sort of the imbalance of things on screen, behind the camera, off screen and, and whatnot. And really, truly, um, if, you know, if, if it's, if, if one of us like walks through the door, like it's our, it's part of our job to help other female filmmakers get there, make the connections. Oh, here, like, I think you should talk to this person or whatnot. And like, I really do see that as, as like a motivation for me and like telling stories that need to be told and also helping other female filmmakers, you know, um, as we all come up together. Um, so yeah, so I'd say like, that's one of the main things that's driving me mm-hmm. in my career right now. That, that's a great, a great little story and statement. And, um, and I think that makes an awesome high note to end it on yeah. some, some inspiration. Cause I think we're all looking for that, uh, regardless of what your industry is or where you're at economically, where you're at mentally today. Um, there, there's a, there's a struggle. Right? Every, we're all going through something and there's various degrees of depth of, you know, how problematic that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think those are some great takeaways. So I want to say thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed spending this hour and, uh, um, getting to know you in, in this way has been, it's been fun. This is a, this is a pretty unique opportunity. So thanks for taking time uh, out of your morning to do it. No worries. Thank you so much, Carson. It was a lot of fun talking and I'm glad we finally were able to, to meet over Zoom and then in our new normal right now. Yeah, exactly. And you know, let me, let me give a plug, right? I will have a link to Finding Big Country on YouTube. Uh, so that's there for you. And you also have a merchandise store uh, attached yes. to your other website, right? FindingBigCountry.com. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Perfect. So, thank you so much, Carson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those will both be there for you. And um, again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be in touch, right? Sounds great. Stay safe. Okay, you too. Yeah.